Welcome back. You are listening to the It's Never Too Late to Be Healthy podcast, and I'm your host, Kevin Brady. Through my own experiences as a lifelong athlete, community volunteer, author, and company founder, I'm on a mission to educate, inspire, and motivate individuals of all ages to improve all aspects of their health and live their best life to the fullest. I built my company, Advoca Health, based on this mission. Advocate Health assists companies and individuals navigate the very best health solutions both at home and in the world. On this podcast, I meet with industry-leading experts and partners with the aim to share simple strategies and tips to help you live a healthier, longer, and happier life. Sit back and enjoy the show. I'm so pleased to introduce you to today's podcast guest, Marina Zelinovic. Inspired to help others after experiencing ongoing digestive issues in her growing years, Marina has committed her 20 plus year career as a nutritionist to helping individuals of all backgrounds reach their own personal health and wellness goals. She has had a huge influence on my own and my family's health journey. Over the 10 years that I've known Marina, she has supported my training as a competitive triathlete with personalized nutrition planning. She has also helped me uncover more about my digestive health and sensitivities to certain foods that once addressed, propelled me towards even better overall health and enjoyment in life. Marina's mission as a care provider is to optimize her patient's health by getting to know the whole picture. She uses diet, lifestyle, and supplements to get results that are tailored to each of her patients' individual needs. Marina has been an integral part of our Advoca Health Network and has provided exceptional nutritional counseling and support to hundreds of our executive and individual members. In today's episode, Marina takes us through the patient journey, the importance of the wheels of health, as well as food sensitivity testing, just to name a few. Without further ado, join me in welcoming Marina. Okay, so uh, Marina, I'd like to uh, welcome you to our podcast today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, great. Um, and as I mentioned in my uh, intro, Marina is my personal go-to nutritionist. I, uh, as I mentioned, I, I go to her more than I do actually any doctors. Uh, she looks after our family, but more importantly, she looks after so many of our uh, advocate members. Uh, so Marina, I just want to say thanks so much for all you do for, for not only my family, but all of our members on an ongoing basis as well. Uh, thank you from thank you so much for that. I actually really enjoy working with all of you guys and your your whole family is especially inspiring because everybody is committed to health in very different ways, but it's always trying to be the best, whether it be with exercise, improving diet, taking the right supplements, and you guys actually listen, which is really nice. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And we'll get in. I, I know I have some questions and uh, we'll dive into a few of those areas as well. So, um, but just to start our, uh, us off and for the benefit of our listeners, would you mind just giving uh, a little of your background and how you got into the whole area of, uh, I'll say, health and nutrition? And uh, every time I see you, you, you look and you exhibit a picture of health, which is awesome because that's very motivating as well. Um, but if you wouldn't mind just sharing uh, where you, you know, how you, how you came to where you're at today, it'd be awesome. So my 
journey, I guess, is I was always athletic. As a kid, I was on every sports team. I tried to eat well. Um, but I also, from a young age, suffered from a lot of digestive issues. So my stomach was a disaster from, I remember being eight and having stomach pains. So then when I was in my teenage years, I started experimenting with just changing my diet and trying different things to, to figure out what would help me. And after university, because I was on a path to become a psychotherapist, and then I, I was like, really wanted to help people, but I didn't know that that was act, my actual calling. Um, and then I decided to take some time off and I decided to, to study nutrition and I loved it. Like day one, I felt like this is the right path for me because you do get to help people, but it also taught me so much more about my own health and, my, and, and improved my own health journey. So about 20 years ago now, um, that's what I've been doing. And then I've always wanted to, to really learn what the cause is for, for symptoms. So it's not just about band-aiding it and you know, take this remedy and you'll be fine. But it's like, okay, but hold on a second. Why is this happening in the first place? And what can I do to change it so that I'm not just taking a whole bunch of supplements, um, band-aiding problems, but I want them to actually go away. So that was always my focus. Um, and then that led me to learn about European biological medicine, which is a little different. So again, it's very, what's the cause? Let's treat the cause, not just band-aid the cause. Um, and then I like to incorporate various modalities. So when you look at Eastern medicine, Western medicine, because it's not a one size fits all. So I was always taught that, you know, you can have five different people who come in with digestive problems, but you don't treat them the same way because different things work for different people. So it's just figuring out what's the right treatment modality for the person sitting in front of you. And, you know, for some people it's, you know, food sensitivities, other people it's stress, other people it's the way that they're eating their foods, that's the problem. So it's always interesting for me to figure out um, what you can do to actually help the person, but the person sitting in front. So that led me to, you know, studying various things. Um, I started working in New York City and I worked in um, like an, with executives, like in executive health here. I moved to Toronto, I worked in sports medicine, I owned my own clinic working on prenatal postnatal health. Um, and then that all brought me back to more executive health and, and it's incorporating all the different life stages. And that's been, it's been a journey, but it's been really interesting. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think you give yourself enough credit because I just know, again, me personally, but any of our clients that we've sent your way, we get nothing but rave reviews. So, and I, and I, I think your approach uh, is unique and that it's very personalized um, and which is what you said. I mean, it's not one size fits all. Um, and also, I mean, I would say our medical system is, is not healthcare per se, which is too bad. And it's, it's sick care in many cases. And it is actually putting a Band-Aid on, on issues, uh, example, cholesterol or high blood pressure or things like that, that, that uh, can be reversed uh, in different ways, right? And, uh, and more, more naturopathic ways or na natural ways, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. I definitely agree with that. And, and the thing too is um, when you're looking at different patients and how they got to where they are, so sometimes you're fighting genetics, sometimes it's you know, people are doing things that they're not aware of. So one of my biggest goals is just to help explain the process because I feel like in medicine, you're oftentimes told this is your diagnosis and you move on. But if people were to understand why they got there, how they got there, what they actually need to do to, to, to get out of there, then they're more likely to, to follow those recommendations as well. So that's the part that I really, like my whole thing is, can I educate you to understand why you need to do something? Because then I think you'll actually 
be able to want to follow it as well, especially some of the harder changes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And can you, um, just for our listeners again, and many of our members, um, would you mind just sharing what the journey looks like when they, you know, from, from the first time they, let's say we connect, our nurse navigation team connects a member with you, um, what that process looks like, um, you know, if, and I'll say start to finish, I know it's probably quite long, but you know, what, what does that look like? You know, I'm an, I'm a new member. I, I want to get healthy from a nutrition standpoint. So our nurse navigation team reaches out to you and connects, connects our member with you. What's, what kind of happens from there? What's your process? So first I would just send an introductory email. I like people to understand what to expect. So that's a, this is a great question. Usually we do a first appointment. First appointments run anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours, depending on the individual. Um, I will ask them to bring any images, any blood work that they have, any other testing that they've ever done, just either bring it to the appointment, send it to me before, send it to me after. It just helps kind of finalize the picture. But we spend a lot of time talking and, and a lot of the time is um, you know talking about personal health, what, they've, what they're going through, what their lifestyle is, what their family history is because all of that does play a role into it. Um, and oftentimes the question people will say, like, I never thought of that, or I never made this connection. So what I'm trying to do is get people to be more aware of like, oh, when you have a headache, is it raining outside? Is it, if you're dehydrated, like it's getting them to think about what potential triggers could be so that they can understand what makes it better, what makes it worse, have they tried this, have they tried that? Um, so that first appointment is really just me getting information. If they haven't done blood work recently, then I'll give them a list of things to request from their family doctor. Um, and a lot of it will be a lot of standard tests, but some of it goes a little bit beyond just so we can know, is there inflammation in the body? Is their thyroid working properly? Um, how are their liver scores? So there's a lot of different, you know, different elements there. So the more information we have, the better. In some cases, depending on what somebody's coming for, we might do added um, hormone testing, like saliva hormone testing, um, food sensitivity testing, again, depending on the situation. So once I get all of that information from a patient, then I will send them an email that has a detailed lifestyle recommendation, food and supplement list. Um, but I'm always working within people's parameters. Like I have some patients who say, I don't have the time right now to change my diet or lifestyle, just give me supplements. So we'll start there, but then I'll try to let them understand that supplements are there to supplement the rest of it. It's not a one, like you can't just take the supplements and not do anything else. But if that's the starting point, that's the starting point. Other people will say, well, I only take liquid. I don't like to swallow pills. So then I'll figure out what we can do from like a liquid perspective, or I don't like animal products. So there's lots of options out there, but I'm always trying to put together a plan that gives them the most bang for their buck. Meaning I'm not going to put the uh, person on 20 different things first appointment. I'll try to give them the two, three, four, if I need to, that kind of covers the most bases. And then that's how we start. And I'm always accessible. So I'll tell patients, if you have any questions, because sometimes when we first have that meeting, I explain things, the email, I'm pretty detailed. I try to explain things and, you know, people get it. But then sometimes when they start incorporating it, that's when the questions really start to come. So I'm completely open I'll say, you know, I'm on my phone a lot. I'm, I'm on my computer a lot. So just send me emails if you have any questions. If it's quicker for us to do a quick phone check-in to explain that, I'm happy to do that. And then usually six to eight weeks later, then we'll do a proper follow-up. And then at that follow-up, then we're kind of reassessing the protocol that they're on. Have they felt anything different? Have, what changes have they been able to make? Um, what's been challenging to make, you know, do they need more recipe support? Do they need different supplements? Do we need to switch gears? 
it all depends. Like some people will race through to the next stage and other people we need to go a little bit slower. Um, so that's usually the second appointment. Then it really depends on the individual. For some people, we might need to meet neatly, week, sorry, monthly. Um, that's not typical. Usually it's every three to six months, three to four months is the, the norm where we'll just do check-ins. And that's where, you know, it's, it's the little, it's the troubleshooting along the way so that we don't ever have anything become too big of an issue, but we're also progressing. Cause I find that sometimes if patients, if we go too long, then, you know, sometimes they, I told them, oh, just take this for two months and then we'll revisit. They're still on it four months later. And I don't always want that. And even when it comes to supplements, I'm, I'm really uh, big on them rotating things. So I don't like people taking the same thing month in, month out, um, just because even the logic for me is if you're exercising, you need to exercise different muscles. So if you're taking supplements rather than taking 20 different things, I'd rather than them take five things and cycle it in. And then you're, you're getting a lot more nutrients without taking 20 different things all at once. So yeah. that's how the program is. So we typically will meet the first time do a detailed intake, um, they'll go off, start the program, whatever the recommendations are, and then that six to eight weeks, that, that's roughly the amount of time that we're not gonna see always huge improvements, but we should see something in, in that time frame. And then we can do a plan going a little bit longer the, between the next appointment. Um, and then, like I said, and I'm accessible. So if patients have a quick question or it's like, I'm confused or this is happening, um, is this normal? We troubleshoot along the way. Yeah. Well, obviously your process uh, works because as I say, we get amazing feedback from anybody we send uh, your way. So uh, thanks again for that. And I'd just like to say, I mean, I, um, I've been, I don't know how many years you and I've been working together personally, and you've been working with our family, but I'm going to say probably seven or eight years, maybe, maybe longer. I'm not even sure. <laughs> I think we met or 20. Yeah. I think 2013 we met. Okay. Wow. And, uh, you know, what I did like, and, and I went through that process was the intake, first of all, but the other thing that you mentioned that I think is key is the blood testing. Um, cause I think typically when we go to a doctor, we get standard blood tests, right? We get cholesterol and, and we get our blood pressure taken and we get, you know, um, what the regular blood profile would be. But I found with you and over the years, um, you always test different things like my nutrient levels or my mineral levels or my magnesium or my vitamin B, you know, things that aren't traditionally, uh, traditionally tested. Um, and for me personally, I know, for instance, I, I don't absorb vitamin B very well, right? B, and probably because my diet, but also genetically as well. So, you know, you've, because of that, and because you see it in the blood test, you, you know, it's one of the things, just as an example that you uh, prescribe for me as a supplement. So um, I love the fact that you do the blood tests. And again, you mentioned that you meet probably once a quarter, and I know you and I meet probably every three or four months. And I always think, because we usually book an hour, hour and a half, and I always think, what are we going to talk about for an hour and a half? Like, things haven't changed that much. But what I really like is every one of those times you dig dig deep, right? Like, you dig deep on my sleep and my nutrition and how much caffeine am I drinking and what do my weekends look like? And, and you know, and which is great because then it allows you, combined with blood tests, come up with a great recommendation. But it's not, um, here's a quick fix. It's the what I like about it is it's, it's the whole picture, right? Yeah. And you know, what's interesting for me, at least the, the longer I know a patient, then I start to see trends. So I, for example, in the spring, I had a patient who was not in, in a good place. And, but then I was like, but listen, every spring you struggle and it's, you know, I think you're doing too much outside and, not, and people don't recognize it in themselves that, you know, I'm gardening, but you know, 
gardening for eight hours is hard on the body and, and just little things like that. So then it's interesting for me when you do get to know a patient and then you start to see the trends in them. So then after if they get scared, it's like, but wait a second, we know this happens every year at this time. Let's see, like take it easy for a week or change this for the next two weeks. We'll do a quick check-in just to see if things have improved. So that's the part that I really, really enjoy because it's, it's troubleshooting or during when, when you say, when I dig deep, um, questions like, are you drinking more caffeine? Sometimes people don't realize that they are. And it's like, okay, but are you just like, is it for comfort? Are you stressed? Are you really tired? And you trying, like, are you trying to get your engine going? And that's why you're doing it. And those are oftentimes we do things without thinking of the reason behind it. Right. Or I'm not sleeping well, but it's not that big of a deal. And it's like, okay, it's not a big deal for a couple of days, but now for a couple of weeks and let, we need to do something about it because a few weeks later, it's going to be a lot harder on the body to recover from that. So, or, or, you know, is stress higher at this time of year because this is your busy time or are you traveling more? Like it's little things like that, that we can troubleshoot when, when, especially the, the better I know you. Yeah. And you, and I know from experience, you always dig deep on those things. And uh, you know, even from a competitive standpoint, when I'm racing, like you're kind of gearing me up for racing season. And then as soon as racing season's over, it's like, okay, Kev, we gotta, we gotta help you recover here. Right. So, uh, which, which is great. Um, so, uh, as you know, I've recently published, uh, published a book. It's never too late to be healthy. Um, and I believe you've, you've read portions of that book, but I really talk about the four wheels of health and kind of, which has really helped me. Um, and, uh, it, those being sleep, uh, mindfulness or, or stress, uh, eating well, you know, what we put in our bodies and, and as well as fitness. Um, so I just like to overall, I guess, just get a broad view in each of those areas in terms of the importance of each of those in your overall health um, or a person's overall health. So let maybe we'll just start with sleep. Like how important is sleep? If, if people say, okay, I want to be an eight or nine out of 10 health wise, um, can you just comment on sleep and also maybe comment on what you're seeing out there when you, when you meet with people from a sleep standpoint? So a lot of people don't sleep well. A lot of people don't listen to their natural sleep cycle or sleep signs. So if the body is telling you that you're tired, but you're watching a show on Netflix and it's not time to go to bed yet or whatever it is. Um, so most people in North America do not sleep well. But when people are going through higher stress, they don't they sleep differently, not well, oftentimes too. So that's the type where you're waking up three o'clock in the morning, can't get back to sleep, the mind starts to race. Um, sleep is hugely important. So not only is it our time to rest, recover, a lot of hormones get released during sleep. And if we're not sleeping, then the amount of those hormones that get released is going to be lower. So that usually means that our recovery from exercise isn't going to be as good. Um, our focus and concentration the next day is not going to be as good. So sometimes these are minute changes. For example, if you don't sleep well one night, it's usually not the end of the world. But now if this becomes a pattern, or people, you know, stay up really late on the weekends and then they're trying to catch up during the, the week. You see a lot of these little changes that add up over time and then their sleep becomes just inconsistent that will affect the body, even, even from an immune perspective. Like I've seen people who, when they're not sleeping well, it, they're getting sick more frequently. So the, it depends on the individual, how that lack of sleep, the symptoms that it creates in them. So it could be anything from cognitive, it could be that they're getting injured more in sport or they're not recovering from their exercise as well. Um, it could be that they're you know, tired, not focused, uh, in concentration, all of that. Even memory, I've had patients say like, I think there's something wrong with my memory and everybody's worried about Alzheimer's these days. And I'm like, I think you're tired. I think you need to sleep better. 
um, and in learning proper sleep hygiene. And I think that this past year and a half with people working from home, everybody's connected all the time. You're just in front of devices, not paying attention to the lighting and, and what the quality of lighting should be at night. And that's affecting people. And then people are, are tired, but wired, and then their sleep is affected. Yeah. No, we, it's funny you say sleep. I mean, you know, personally, I don't mind sharing. I've had some sleep issues in the past and generally it's related to stress, right? Or, or perhaps even overtraining, which is stress as well. Um, but I, I know when I uh, write my blog, um, whenever I do, uh, uh, whenever the topic is on sleep and ways to get better sleep, it's by, it's off the charts in terms of my highest viewed uh, blogs, which just, you know, it reinforces your point that so many people have an issue with sleep. And I'll just share, I mean, one thing that's really, really hot, um, helped me, and I'm sure I've shared this with you, but when COVID first started, I mean, I was on the screens all day, like I am now, um, either, you know, doing emails or doing virtual meetings or doing podcasts or I'm speaking or that type of thing. And then at night I would kind of have dinner and then I'd bring my laptop out, uh, out and maybe do some emails, but a lot of it was just uh, pleasure like on Google or maybe looking at uh, articles on fitness or health or that type of thing. But I found I wasn't sleeping well. And um, so I made very early on in COVID, I, I made the decision that at night, I'm going to close my screen on my computer, leave it in the office that I'm in right now, put my take my phone and put it at the front door, right, plug it in and charge it. So it wasn't even near me. And literally that day, that night, I had a great sleep. And I've, you know, not that I I try to do that every single night now. I just kind of shut when the, my work day is over. I shut my computer. I close my office door. I put my phone at the front. And I tell you, it's been a game changer for me in terms of my sleep habits. You know, oh, I believe it. I actually think that people self-medicate with sleep aids more than anything else um, on the market. So it's one of those things that people struggle. So when you ask them, a lot of patients are taking like Tylenol nighttime or Advil night just because they want to be knocked out because they're tired. Or if they're trying to be healthier, they'll take melatonin or something like that. But is sleep is a, like a sleep deprivation is a huge problem in our society. And I do agree with you. It's the screen time. Um, I even encourage people to turn down the lights at night. So it's not sitting under bright overhead lights because it's just sending the wrong, wrong signals to our brain. So we go from being on to expecting to sleep right away. We need a bit of a transition um, from that. So I'm a big fan of, you know, turn off your devices, turn some music on or read a book or do something that's a little bit calming to get you from fully alert to sleep and do not be working up until that time because that definitely will keep you up at night. And if it, and some people go to sleep because they're, they almost are exhausted. So they fall asleep easily, but then they wake up at three, four o'clock in the morning and then the mind is racing. And then that, that part point of the night, it's too hard to fall asleep, fall back asleep or get into a good quality sleep. And they're waking up in the morning, really tired. And even at three o'clock in the morning, it's, it's, it's too late to take anything for sleep at that point for a lot of people. Right. So yeah, exactly. there's a lot, but I love what you're doing because those changes really do add up. And then after it's like, if you're sleeping better, I'm sure your energy is better in the morning. You're more focused. You're, you have the energy to work out. And then it just adds to everything positive. Well, as you say, I mean, one, one, what I call wheels of health, when one's out of balance, it throws the others out, right? So if you don't have, if you don't have great sleep, then in the morning, you probably won't do your fitness or workout, right? Which isn't good. Uh, then you'll probably reach for too many coffees because you're tired. You probably won't eat well. You'll be, you know, looking for sugary, salty foods. And then guess what? Tonight you don't sleep well again, right? It's yeah, like, it's, 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 it's self-perpetuating, right? Which is, yeah. 
crazy. So while we're on sleep, because um, it is such a big area, as you know, I wear a sleep monitoring device, a Whoop. Um, what's your thought on on, the, on those types of devices, that or an Aura Ring, or I think even Apple now it can measure your sleep? Yeah, you know, it, it depends on the individual. So some people feel better knowing that they have stats to look at because it, it helps them understand you know what, I'm, I'm feeling tired and my device has told me I didn't have a good night's sleep. So it, it reinforces that. For some patients, I've said, don't go to those devices. We know you're not sleeping, so don't use them. But for the most part, I do think that they are good because it gives people like, oftentimes we don't make those connections for ourselves. Like we might not sleep well, but we're not aware of it. And then it's like, oh, I'm really tired today, but they think that they slept well. Um, having any kind of insight into what you need to do, how to improve, what your stats are, that I think is a, is a positive. It's almost like, you know, using a scale. So if you want to know if you're losing weight to step on a scale every now and then is not a bad thing. Um, it's so I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan if it's used properly. I'm thinking just of a patient who um, monitors everything and then will get stressed out because, you know, the sleep score wasn't good. So in those cases, I'm like, one of my kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, actually not. But I, it's a, that's, that's where technology can be negative. But I think in most cases, we don't, we need to bring awareness or to understand what are we doing that's not right here. So whatever that means and, and having something to monitor, like I wear a device as well. Um, I do think it gives us insight. And I, I, no, I call it knowing your score. Like in other words, if you don't know your score, how do you even improve? And, and I'll just share my personal story is, you know, if I went, used to go to bed at, and I, let's say 11 o'clock and wake up at seven o'clock, I would go, oh, I had eight hours sleep. And what I've, what I've determined through my device is I generally am asleep an hour less than I think I am, right? Yeah. So what it's done for me, I go to bed an hour early. I try most nights to go to bed an hour earlier. Like I try to be in bed at 10, you know, read a bit. And, you know, I have my bedtime routine as I've shared with you. And then, um, and then I fall asleep. And I, so, you know, for me to get a solid seven and a half, eight hours, I, I need almost nine hours in bed, right? Yeah. Is what it's done for me. Because most people, like, we need that time to almost unwind to be able to fall into a good quality sleep. And hours in bed don't always translate into sleeping hours or quality of sleep hours either. So I do, I do think having some sort of monitoring device where it's giving you insight into what you're actually doing. And just, again, it, it increases awareness. So it's like, oh, I think that this is happening. But now through this measure, I can see I'm not actually doing that. So what do I need to do to improve? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, bedtime routine for me is key and no screens at night. Those are uh, kind yeah. of my, my two go-tos. So um, the, the other, the, I'm just going to uh, take you through each of the wheels. So the next one is mindfulness or another way to say mindfulness is being, is, is stress or stress-free. So in a person's overall, uh, I'll say health, again, if their goal is to be eight or nine or 10 out of 10, how does mindfulness play into that whole equation from your perspective? I personally think it's huge because we live in a society, especially the last year and a half, I think it's been very stressful for people in various ways. And a lot of and I, what I've learned, people are not always aware of their stress. And I've had patients where, you know, when you're hearing their story, you're like, well, you're dealing with a lot of stress. And they've looked at me like completely blank saying, you think so? I don't feel stressed. I'm like, okay, you may not feel stressed, but this is a lot going on in your life right now. And that does trickle. So I do think that increasing like the mindfulness, reducing stress, 
Um, and even this past year, like the not socializing, the not the working from home. Some people excel at working from home. Other people excel working in environments with other people and leaving their house. So this past year has been really, really interesting. And I can't tell you how many patients I've had conversations about stress about. Um, and some of them are not, we're not fully aware that what they're experiencing right now is stress. And sometimes they'll say, no, no, I'm not stressed. I'm just not sleeping well. You need to help me with my sleep. I'm like, okay, but we need to rewind a little bit because your stress is causing you not to sleep well. Cause you waking up at three o'clock in the morning is not your sleep. It's your stress. So definitely a big thing that we, that needs to be looked at. Um, and then even looking at it's for people to become aware of what stress feels like. And, and that's where the mindfulness comes in because I've had people say that, you know, I've got all this tension here and I'm like, that's likely stress or I've got, you know, like there's various symptoms, even a lot of people will come in with digestive symptoms and I'm like, okay, I think that, you know, stress is playing a role in that. They're like, no, 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 I'm not stressed. And I'm like, let's just try this remedy. And it's a stress remedy. And they come back and they say, oh, my digestion's so much better. I'm like, because there's a brain gut connection there. So we don't, we don't realize it as much in our society. It's not addressed. And even through our regular blood work, they can't see if a patient is stressed. It doesn't show us, but it's the, you know, the, the, when you go through symptoms, then you can really understand somebody's lifestyle. And I do find that, you know, executive types and people who have a lot going on, they don't have time to think, oh, I'm stressed, but they are. And the body can only take so much. And then, and stress is different things. When you're working out at um, levels that you're working out at, for example, that's a stress on the body as well. So there's stress that translate, it's, translates itself in many different ways. And even living in the GTA, just the amount of time, so again, not this last year, but under normal circumstances, when you're racing to get to work or you're racing between meetings and now you're stuck in traffic, all of that is triggering our stress response. And people are not aware of that. And I keep saying, what our bodies were designed to do was to run away from a tiger or lion. So the equivalent of that in modern society is the person in front of you slams on their brakes, you slam on your brakes, your heart rate, everything's going for three to five minutes, and then it all calms down. That's the stress that our body was designed to do. What we're doing to it is we're constantly revving it. So when our phone goes off and there's an email that we have to, to look at at eight o'clock at night or at seven o'clock in the morning, when we're working late into the night, when we're racing to get to places when we're stuck in traffic, when we've got too much on the go, that's all stress. And that's constantly revving that engine that it wasn't, we weren't designed to do that. And, and that's why even our regular blood work is not designed to, to find that easily, but it doesn't mean that it's not there. And once we address it, pa patients will come in and say, I can focus better. I, I'm more concentrated at work. I feel calmer. I don't feel overwhelmed. Um, and those are just some of the physical symptoms. And then there's, then there's like the sport type symptoms too. So when I worked in sports medicine, it would sometimes be interesting because some of the executives we would have come in would have these like crazy injuries. And you're like, what did you do to do that? And they were like, oh, I was getting out of the shower. I was getting out of my car. And you're kind of looking at them going, I think you just needed to slow down. And your body was like, if you weren't gonna slow down, your body was gonna slow you down. Because when you're sick and injured, you slow down, right? Up until that point, we just keep going. And you know, life has gotten fast. Like everything is go, go, go. So this last year and a half has kind of changed that around a little bit, but it, it for some people it's been great because their life has been simplified. So they don't have to fly to meetings or drive to meetings, they're working from home. But then for others, it, the workload has just increased and, and the lack of social has increased their stress effect. Yeah, the work year. for most people, it's been a total change in their in their environment over the last yeah. year and a half. And as you say, some people it's been great and other people that it's been super tough on. 
right? Yeah, and, and yeah. then even having like gyms closed because that's a stress reducer for a lot of people. So that just, if you don't have a way to dissipate the stress, it just builds in the body even more. Yeah. Well, and I know, you know, it's, you, you remind me of my own story where I, I was having my executive medical a number of years ago and, uh, and the, the doc asked me what my stress level was on a scale of one to 10. And I said, ah, three or four, you know, not very stressed. It's probably the same answer I gave you the first time we met. And so he put a, a, a monitor on my finger and actually, I'm not sure if I've ever shared this story with you, but I actually thought it was an oxygen meter and I've had my oxygen done and I go, oh, it's going to come back 99%. Anyways, he spun the screen around and he said, uh, see that screen? And it was all red. The whole screen was red. He said, that's your, that's your neurons firing right now in your brain, right? That's your brain activity that's going on. Like just like almost like a, you know, a fast treadmill or a hamster or something. Right. And he said, have you ever tried breathing exercise? And I said, no. And he said, would you mind if I took you through five minutes of breathing, of deep breathing? And I go, sure. So he kind of, you know, said, close your eyes and get comfortable. And he, he literally took me through five minutes of breathing. That's it. He says, open your eyes. And of course, I, now I'm groggy and I feel like tired. And he spins the screen around. He says, look at the screen. The first less than one minute was red. And then it went right down to the bottom and it was green the rest of the time, right? So I'm a huge proponent of just, just simply, you know, for stress management, breathing exercises. We actually had a meeting this morning, uh, an Advoca uh, strategic meeting and Vanessa, our director of marketing started off the meeting with just taking us through some really simple breathing exercises. And it's amazing. And just from a productivity standpoint and everybody just kind of relaxes and chills, right? It's just, it's amazing how one little thing can have such an impact on your overall, I'll say mental well-being. you know? And you know what I love? Um, I know a lot of devices these days will tell people to breathe. So I've had patients, because I always say, you know, even doing regular, so every time you get into an elevator, take a couple of minutes to take a few deep breaths. Whenever you get into your car, take a, like if we start to have these associations, then you incorporate it into your day rather than you like having to remember to do it. So I've had patients say, that's funny. Like my, my watch will tell me to breathe. I'm like, but do you listen to it? They're like, no, I just kind of like push the notification off. And I'm like, no, you should really breathe then. And, and then I've had patients come in and say, you know what, when I do breathe, breathe, I feel better. And I'm like, so do it more often. And, and it's just one of those things that people don't think about because it's an innate, we just breathe without thinking of it. But yoga, I think is one of the best examples because you can go into a yoga class exhausted, but you come out feeling rejuvenated because you've been breathing deeply for an hour, hour and a half, however long the class is. And we don't do that. And even like a lot of people are so tight in their diaphragms that they can't even take a deep breath, like a proper breath. And when we're stressed, we tend to have poor posture we breathe just with our chest, not with our bellies. That doesn't oxygenate us. So we're automatically more tired. And the minute we just start to breathe, people are like, but I feel better. And I'm like, because you're getting oxygen into your system. So I like, I love your story. And, and people like, I, that is something that everybody needs to do. And, and it's simple enough to do. Yeah, for sure. And it, 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 it activates your, as you know, your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your relaxing system and, and very quickly, right? It just like, so yeah, the more I, I try to do it, you know, minimum once a day. And often I find myself a few times a day and actually do it before I fall asleep at night. Right. And then I just kind of drift off into sleep. Yeah. So, yeah. Good. No, and I love it. And honestly, if, if you can do it at least once mid point, or if I mean, people are not driving to the office, but that's a perfect time to do that. Like when you're leaving to go to work, when you're leaving work to go home, when you're going to the grocery store, wherever, 
that first minute in the car, just do some deep breathing. And if we start to have those quick associations, then it's something we don't think about doing, but we start to incorporate it. And then our diaphragm starts to loosen and we're actually able to take better, deeper breaths. And when you watch a baby, that's how they breathe. And adults don't breathe like that anymore. Yeah, yeah we somehow forget how to breathe over the years, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, one of my other key wheels is fitness. And obviously, you know, I'm a proponent of, of physical fitness, mainly because I enjoy it. Um, but how does that fit into, again, the whole, the whole health uh, equation? And, and what are some things you see from your patients or, or your, your clients in terms of fitness? Huge. I think it's huge. And we've been moving. People have been moving from the beginning of time, right? So what what our society has done now it's you're you're you sit all day and then if you have the time or energy to work out if you work out every day or and it doesn't have to be like i know your exercise routine is is really high up there and i think for some people that's almost intimidating to think i can't do that but even starting slow but moving your body every single day so that's why some of these trackers are good just to give you an idea of how little you move and i found that during this pandemic people will come back and say i barely take 2000 steps a day because I don't like, I don't have anywhere to go, but then it's forcing yourself. And I think that after any kind of workout and listening to your body at the same time, but even going for a brisk walk, you come back, you'll feel better doing some resistance training. I mean, people don't think it's, it's not necessarily about building muscle, but it's good for the bones. It's good for so many other things. We need to stretch people take, don't, don't do that. And then that risk increases the risk of injury. Even, even simple things like you can be walking and spraining your ankle if you don't stretch, but if you're somebody who stretches regularly, your body absorbs shock differently too. But I think exercise from a fitness, from a, I guess, overall health perspective is hugely important. But from a stress perspective, it's a good way just to blow off ex excess negative steam as well, but doing things that we like. And one thing I encourage patients to do is to change it up. So not to do the same thing all the time. So if you're on the bike inside in the wintertime, go on the bike outside in the summertime, play a sport, do, do anything that you enjoy doing. If you're working out, and I had a yoga instructor say this once, if you're working out and you're hating what you're doing, or you're watching TV as you're you know, on a machine, you're not going to get the same effect as if you find something that you really like to do, because then it's like you enjoy, you look forward to it and you pay attention to how your body feels doing it. And then you can see, oh, today I'm, I, I'm not as good. So I'll hold back a little or, wow, I was only going to do this much today, but I'm feeling like I really have a lot in me. I'm going to go a little harder. And I love that. And, and, but having different things, cause we need to work out different muscles um, just for that balance in the body. So you're inspiring because you do a lot and you don't, you, you push yourself and you're always excelling, but you change it up as well. So you're not like, if you're doing the same, like, okay, I'm going to do this exercise every single day. And I think that that's important. And, and even starting slow. So I've, I've told patients start with 10 minutes, like don't put these huge obstacles in front of you because you know, an hour is a hard time. It's hard to commit to, but if you start with 10 minutes, but then now it's like, done my 10 minutes I can do five more or I can do 10 more and you build on that and then it's you start to feel better and then as your body starts to get stronger it's that's more motivating as well but and keeping it interesting and if that means finding a person to work out with um finding activities that you know are different season to season it's just just moving I think is hugely important and I do like and again that any kind of tracking device that encourages you so you know, I've some people will say Oh, when my my phone or my sorry my my watch beeps on me, it'll tell me like you need to do 20 more steps to hit your 250 for the hour. They get up and I'm like, but that's perfect because otherwise you would have been sitting. You just did an extra 20 steps. That's a good thing. 
I just think that this last year we've been so stuck in our homes that a lot of people have fallen off the bandwagon for exercise. And then I've had other patients who found new things that they never liked, that they never knew that they would have liked to do, like hiking outside in the woods in the winter time. So there's been positives to that as well. It's just, but I do think that moving is important and finding things you enjoy to do while you're moving is hugely important as well. Yeah, no, it's, I just actually wrote my, uh, wrote my last blog. It was called lift a tree. And the whole point of it wasn't lift a tree. The whole point is people believe that their conditions have to be perfect to work out. Like I need a gym. I need a treadmill. I need elliptical. I need a trainer. And the point is just move like you, to your point. And I mean, the longest living, as you know, Dan Bootner's done a lot of his work uh, with the blue zones, the longest living people in the world, the centurions. And there's five communities in the world that um, these people live longer than anywhere else in the world. And what do they do? They move and they move and they actually just move and they aren't on a treadmill and they aren't on an elliptical. A lot of them are in their land or farming or walking or, and uh, you know, and, and also I love your point about doing what you love doing. Like there's no, nothing that says you have to, you know, you know, hop on a treadmill. You can go for a walk, you can go for a hike. You can um, go, go, go for a bike ride, you know, like just, but just move right, is, yeah. uh, is the message. And you know, one of the things this year that I've actually been telling people is get into habits. So keep a pair of dumbbells beside your desk. And when you're between meetings, do something with them. Doesn't have to be the same thing, just do something. So now you've got your arms. Before Every time you go get a glass of water, do 20 squats. And they're like, why? And like, because if you start to do little things like that, you, it, it becomes a habit. And then now when you add it up, you've done 100 squats throughout the day that you wouldn't have done otherwise. Or hold plank for one minute. And I, I, I'm always talking about this kind of stuff. And I love it when my patients know each other. So in the winter, there was, a, a, I think, a group of five or six of them that got together and they started a challenge with uh, holding plank. So then they, they started encouraging each other. So to every day to hold plank for an extra minute to see how far they could get. And they didn't have to do it all at once. It could be in divided doses. But every day they were adding a minute to that challenge. And I'm like, this is amazing because we need like if you are, you know, in the winter months, people lose motivation. So if you have a group of friends that, you know, you can get into some sort of fitness challenge with, I love it. And, and it's little simple things. It doesn't have to be an hour. It could be five minutes, 10 minutes, but it's exactly. moving. Do it throughout the day. Now those five minutes added up to 25 minutes or 35 minutes or an hour. So, yeah, I, but any starting small and building on that. Yeah, yeah, good. You're, you actually remind me of a story. I'm sure I, I'm not sure if I've shared this with you, but when I fly, obviously I want to keep moving and everything else. And uh, so one of the things I do, and Barb always says, why do you go to the washroom so much? And I actually go to the washroom, not to go to the washroom. Well, I do drink a lot of water and liquids and hydrogen and stuff while, when I'm traveling, but I actually go to the washroom and I do, uh, and I close the door and I call them uh, butt squats. I basically uh, uh, do like 25 or 50 squats in the washroom. <laughs> so nobody in the plane can see me because otherwise they go, what's that weirdo doing over there? And What's sorry? That's actually important to move during a flight. Like we need, we don't move enough on planes. So that's perfect. Yeah, 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 for sure. Anyways, I don't tell many people that. So we'll keep that under wraps. <laughs> so anyway, so obviously uh, fitness is, is super important. So let's turn to one of, uh, obviously your specialty at overall health, but let's turn to nutrition, um, which is my last wheel of health in no particular order. But there's so many conflicting messages out there when it comes to nutrition and 
I feel like there's, you know, all these different diets and, you know, vegan and, and uh, carnivore and everything else, uh, keto and so many other things that are hitting, hitting the shelves. And I th actually think it's very confusing for people. So, yep. yeah. So what, what, what do you see? I'll, I'll start with, what do you see as some of the dangers or what are kind of the common themes that you see from a danger standpoint from a new, that people are, are going through for when it comes to nutrition? So you're right. There's so many mixed messages. And I find that when people try a diet, they don't always understand the, the true concept of the diet. So they, they think they're doing paleo, but they're actually doing Atkins. And there's a big difference between them. So I think people will take the highlights of a diet and, and think that, oh, I'm doing this, so I'm doing this diet, rather than understanding the full scope of it. Um, but some of these diet plans also can be quite dangerous for certain people. So for example, keto is the trend right now. For some people, it works fantastically. But for others, it really doesn't. It's not a good plan for them. So it depends on what your kidney function is like, what your liver function is like. Um, there's a lot of waste byproduct that is produced by being on a keto diet. So it's not a one size fits all at all when it comes to certain diet plans out there. And then I find that people jump plans too often. So they're, they're looking for quick results. They don't want to invest the time. So they try something for a couple of weeks. Oh, this doesn't work. Then they go back to their negative eating habits. Then they try something else for a couple of weeks. Oh, this doesn't work. And then they're just kind of bouncing around all the time. I'm not a huge fan of putting anybody on something that they don't want to do if they don't believe it. Like I would never say, oh, you need, you need to go vegan if somebody is a hardcore meat eater. But what I always try to do is get a sense of what somebody is actually eating. So oftentimes I'll have people fill out um, food diaries for me. To, so I know exactly what are you eating and how are you eating it? And one of the, the reasons for this is people will write back and say, I honestly just didn't realize that I was doing X, Y, Z because we, we eat and we don't, we don't think about it. But then I'll ask like, Oh, how often do you have fast food? Oh, like once or twice a week maximum. And then sometimes it's like five or six times in the week. And they're like, no, this is pretty accurate. I just didn't realize I was doing that. Or, you know, if, if people are writing that they're having desserts or sweets or, or chips or whatever, I'll ask, but what's the reasoning for it? And people aren't always aware, like, are you eating because you're bored? Are you eating because it's there? Are you, are you craving something? Because cravings tell us a lot about, you know, what's going on with the body. So I find that people, when it comes to food, they don't, they don't understand. There's a lot of mixed messages out there. And a lot of advertisers will advertise things. So for example, I love that Twizzlers are recommended to be for people as like cholesterol free. So they think, oh, they must be good because they're cholesterol free. And you're kind of like, no, and they're not, they're not good. And they wouldn't have cholesterol in them because it's not an animal based product, but there's so much misinformation in that regard as well. So what I like to do is get a sense of what people are actually eating and then start to improve on that. So then I'll get them to think of like, why are you doing this? Be more mindful of, you know, are you, are you hungry when you eat like this type of a breakfast? Are you hungrier in the afternoon? Are you skipping meals a lot? Because again, people don't realize what, what they're doing. So that's the first step. And then the second step is cleaning it up. So if they're eating a lot of processed foods, let's get that out first, see how they're feeling and, and giving them easy tips that they can just incorporate. Because if you try to make too many changes at once, it feels like you're on a diet and then you get off the diet. If you make slow changes to what, what is natural to you, then over time, people will realize, wow, I made all these changes. My diet is so much better, but it didn't feel stressful. It felt like, it felt like a natural thing to do. And when you feel better, you want to keep eating in that way. Um, and then even like another one, the one thing I do recommend a lot of is, is called intermittent fasting. 
So that's just kind of making people aware of reducing their eating hours in a day. Cause I find that that's the easiest way to make a, a change. Cause, and it cuts out a lot of that late night snacking that's unnecessary. Um, cause if you're trying to eat within a nine, 10, 11, 12 hour window, now it's 10 o'clock at night and you just wanted to eat a snack because you were bored, you'll think twice of it. So I think that's usually my starting point in terms of a diet to put people on. Um, but otherwise it's just, it's, it's tweaking till we get them to where we want. And Kev, I know you for a long time too. And I know when I met you, your diet was very different from what it was now. And every year it's just improved and improved and improved and you get rid of this and you get rid of that. And it, that's the perfect way for it to be, because then it's something that you feel like you have control over. You enjoy it. And it doesn't feel like, oh gosh, now I have to eat this. And then you're on it for a short amount of time to just go off it again which is what yeah. most diet plans do. Yeah, you know what? And obviously influenced me in uh, what I wrote in my book because there's two concepts I talk about. One is called baby steps, which probably I learned from you. I don't know where I got the term, but in other words, I think people, even you know, every New Year's people make like 10 New Year's resolutions, right? So I say, if you just change one thing a month, over the course of a year, that's 12 things. And over the course of a five-year period, that's 60 things, right? Like it's like it all adds up, right? So I love your concept of, you know, take baby steps. And I know you've, you've had that influence on me and, and my family as well. Um, but the other thing I, I love about what you're talking about is I think the whole, I'll call it diet world out there is, is about restriction, right? It's a yeah. like, count your calories, count this, you can't eat this, you can't do that. And people, short term, it works, right? But people are miserable, right? They're going, oh, yeah, I can't eat that. And but I want to eat that. And, you know, after 30 days, they go, okay, I'm off this thing, like, I don't want to do it anymore. Um, and so I just like your opinion, because it's it's a concept that's worked for me over the years is um, anti restrictions. So I, I try to live by what I call 8020 rule, which I'm sure I shared with you. But you know, 80% of the time I try to be, I try to um, be very healthy and 20% of the time I reward myself or allow myself to cheat. So I, you know, for me personally, as you know, during the week, I try to be almost, I'll say pretty close to perfect. Um, but then on the weekends, I, you know, enjoy my glass of wine and I have some chips and I, you know what I mean? Like, so it's not, and to me that feels um, non-restrictive, right? Or other people I know that have followed Kind of my program is you know if they have 10 consume 10 food items in a day then two out of the eight out of the 10 are, are perfectly healthy and and what they should be putting in their mouths but two out of 10 they they go off a bit right but it, it it's it, it gets away from that restriction you know oh, but you know so i i completely agree with you because to me food has three different roles one is the nutrients so what we like the, the nutrients the fiber the antioxidants all of that one is the social and one is the emotional. So now if you're in a social situation and everybody's eating whatever and you feel like you can't eat it, well, you're gonna be miserable. So your chance of staying on whatever diet plan you're on, you're not gonna to stick to it because it's getting rid of that social and, and food is very social. And then there's the emotional too. So for example, if you're having a bad day and you know, I don't know what rice pudding makes you feel good. And you're, you're like, you know what, I really deserve this rice. I've been good all week. And I'm just having a bad day. I just want some rice pudding, or I want some chips, or I want, we have to give ourselves that ability to enjoy food too. And that that's the emotional side of it. So it's not all like a lot of diet plans just focus on the nutrient component. And they, they disregard the other two. But even if you're going to a party and having to take your own food, because you're not going to participate, or you're making all these restrictions, 
it, it's not something that's sustainable. So if somebody has like, you know, a, a deathly allergy, yes, they have to do that. But everything short of that, it just, people will do it for a time. And then after it's like, they just give up because it, it's, it's too restrictive. So having that flexibility to be able to enjoy when you're, especially in social situations. So on weekends, it's enjoyable when you're, you don't friends. want to be that, you don't want to be that person where everybody's going, what are they doing? You know, and, yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. then you're not enjoying yourself. And then food becomes like, there's a negative association with it. And what I'm trying to create with people is enjoy your food, like be, you know, try to be good as, as much as you can, but you have to enjoy it too. And, and I will admit my Achilles is, is salt. So I, if I'm having a, like, if I'm going to have a snack, I'm going to have a salty snack. I will try to have the best version of a, of a, of a salty snack, but it's not always possible. So you still have to enjoy it. And, and I think we have to give ourselves that because otherwise, if it's too restrictive, it's, you're not going to stick to it. And that, and I ultimately, why most diet plans fail is because people don't stick to them. And then, but a lot of these companies benefit from it because people just keep going back right so it's like oh, and they blame themselves yeah. it's like oh it's my fault it's like it's not your fault the plan is designed for failure because you can't it's not sustainable so that i try to get people to like you said make small changes eat the best they can but they have to enjoy life too and and that's why if you tweak you get them to where they need to be without changing everything overnight it's, i think it's more sustainable yeah, 100% it is. It's, uh, yeah, and obviously we're on the same page with that. So that's great. Um, mm -hmm. And I love your in intermittent fasting. It's one thing I've tried to do on a regular basis. Um, and even to the point, you know, some mornings, if I'm not working out in the morning, I'll go till actually noon without having, you know, a lot of water or in the morning or that type of thing, or even a black coffee, but um, which I found to be helpful. Um, yep. not every day because it obviously it affects my when I my workouts and that type of thing so I love that um, one thing I, I want to ask you about because you know I start my day pretty much every day with what I call the Wilson shake so the Wilson shake I named after my our 18 year old dog lived to be 18 years old and used to beg for my shake every morning and I basically put uh, you know organic berries in it and some flax and some chia seed and then I open the fridge and whatever lettuce or arugula or you know sometimes it's the salad from the night before I dump in and then I put you know some uh, usually some corella and sp uh, spirulina um, and some plant-based uh, protein or some amino acids to give it a little flavor and I blend it mm -hmm. up and as you know it's a two liter shake and people often say you drink two liters every day and I, I do because I it's I've been doing it um, for probably the last I'm going to say 10 years and it's probably the biggest change I've made and, and probably had the biggest one of the biggest impacts on my overall health. So, um, and for me, I guess the way I look at it is I'm flooding my system with all those nutrients. And um, even if I don't have a, any more salad or lettuce the rest of the day, I've already flooded myself with, with kind of over my, my daily uh, requirement. So I just want your, your opinion on that. Um, and also, is that something um, that others should employ or is it again up based on the individual? I, on, I, I love shakes. I think, and where I like them the most is you can, you can have the same type of shake every day, but you change up the ingredients. So one day you could put blueberries, another day you could put strawberries, you put different greens in there, even different proteins. So it, even though you're having quote unquote, the same thing, it could still be composed of different, of different foods, which means different nutrients. 
I think it's a great way to start the day because you get your antioxidants, you're getting fiber, you're getting greens, you're getting protein, you're getting fiber, uh, I said fiber, um, and then you're adding a lot of other things to it. So you're adding like the chlorella, spirulina. So those are just nutrients and they pull out heavy metals out of your system. They help alkalinize your body. So it's a power way, it's a powerful way to start any day. So I'm a huge fan of that. Like, so even if it's not on a daily basis, but if they'll do it once or twice a week, I think it's a fantastic thing to do. And, and, and I think that there was a stat a few years ago that said that most people only eat 10 foods. Um, their diet is composed of just 10 foods that they cycle. Just doing a shake, you're automatically getting a lot more. And even if you look at diets like the Japanese diet, which is very healthy, in one meal, they easily hit 10 foods and it doesn't have to be huge amounts of it, but they're easily hitting 10 different foods per meal, which ultimately adds up to different nutrients, different antioxidants, phytonutrients, et cetera, et cetera, going in. So I, I love it. I think that more people should try it. And then it becomes a really simple breakfast. And it could be a breakfast that doesn't have to be, it could be whatever time works for you. It could be at seven, it could be at 10, it could be at noon. Um, easy to take so you can prep it quickly I, I always say add the fiber and, uh, sorry add the protein in the morning so you can prep everything else the day before but you can just whirl it in your in your blender in the morning throw the fire throw the protein in and you're good to go and it, you're, it, it's a powerhouse it's much better than most of the breakfast that people will pick up on their way to work regardless so I, I love starting the day like that yeah well I and I find it's funny days I don't have it I, I, I'm not on my game. Like actually, I think my body is missing it. Um, and your, your point earlier about, you know, you can mix up the ingredients. Like I, I don't purposefully measure anything out. And some days I go, some days it's green, some days it's purple, some days it's red. And I and meanwhile, I'm kind of think I'm putting all the same stuff in it, but it's all different, you know? So uh, yeah, for, for me, it's been, it's been great it's all these different frozen fruits because it always changes. So we're always doing that. And every, and I'll say, every time you buy the box greens, buy a different one because there's so many different components to it. So buy spinach one time, buy the spring mix, buy whatever. Yeah. There's so many different ones and just keep adding things to it. Um, cucumber, you can add, like a lot of things. And then you don't have to worry, like you said, about the salad for the rest of the day or whatever else you're eating. It's, I think it's a perfect way to start the day, to be honest. Yeah, good. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, I know we're coming uh, close to the end here, but there's a few other things I want to ask you for our listeners. Um, a lot of our members have had the uh, food inflammation test. And as you know, food inflammation is a root cause of so many illnesses out there, everything from cardiovascular to ob obesity, to heart disease, to even, you know, serious uh, MS, rheumatoid arthritis, those types of things. Um, so as you know, myself and even our family members have had the food inflammation test a few times to see what inflames our system, um, mm -hmm. as well as blood tests as well. Um, so can you just speak to a bit about food inflammation and, and you know, how you test for that and what the, va what the value is in, in you testing our clients for that? So first of all, um, where I think it's really important is there's a lot of mis people misunderstand what that means. So we, we know about um, anaphylactic reactions. So what an anaphylactic allergic reaction is, is if you eat, say, peanuts and your throat closes up or you break out into massive hives. So th those are those immediate reactions. So people can put those together. A lot of food reactions are delayed responses. So that means what you eat on Monday could still be affecting you on Thursday. And this is where it gets inconsistent because people will sometimes say, well, sometimes I eat this and it bothers me, but other times it doesn't bother me. So it probably is something else. And I'm like, not necessarily because 
in that week, maybe say, I'll use eggs as an example. If you ate eggs just on Monday, you might be fine. But now you eat eggs on Wednesday, you still have the eggs from Monday in your system. Now you're adding more of it on, into your system on Wednesday. So on Wednesday, you might have a reaction that you didn't have on Monday, but it could be various things. So it's not usually the immediate stuff. It could be upset stomach. It could be a skin rash. Like we see a lot of eczema coming through, which is oftentimes related to that. Joint inflammation is a common one. Um, constipation, diarrhea. So there's a lot of different symptoms that people can be having, sometimes even just fatigue and just feeling congested, like sinuses feel congested, they feel tired. I had a patient say once that he's like, I thought I was just hungover. And then when we changed up his diet, he's like, I still drink the same amount of alcohol as I used to. He goes, I just don't eat those trigger foods anymore. And he goes, I wake up feeling great. And I'm like, so those are sometimes the, the, the slower, lower reactions that people have. But you don't know, you, it's, it's almost impossible unless you do a full elimination diet, which means that you take out all the most common allergens out and you eat a really simple diet with like rice and steam this and like very, very simple. And then you slowly add one food per three, four days in and to, to wait to see if you have a reaction. So most people don't have that much time in it to put in like that much effort in. If we do a food sensitivity test, there's two ways of doing it. So one is through your family doctor and they can send, give you a requisition. So you go to the, you go to Life Labs or Dynacare, they prick your finger, or sorry, they, they do a um, uh, venous uh, blood draw and they send it off to the lab and they, they test for about 200 foods. When people come into the office, we can test them with a finger prick or I sometimes now during COVID, I've even mailed out the kids. I mailed it out to you. Yeah, that's what we did really, last time. Yeah. Yeah, so you mail out the kit. It's it's pretty easy where you just prick your finger, you fill up a little tube with your blood that gets sent off to the lab and the lab will analyze it. And then it will tell us you've got red trigger foods, which means that you're highly reactive to. You've got uh, yellow trigger foods, which means there's a borderline reaction. So you shouldn't overconsume them. And then you've got your green foods, which are fine. And what I do find with, with patients through the years of doing this there are some commonalities. So some people just don't do well with certain foods in general. And, and we know this. So things like the dairies, the grains, um, peas and, and legumes, they tend to be higher up for a lot of people. But for some, it's just overconsumption. So some people, because they're eating the same foods a lot of the time, they're reacting to things that are just because they're overeating it. So now if we were to start rotating it a little bit, a lot of those reactions go away. And what I've done over the years with patients is sometimes we'll test. They have a lot of things that come up. We'll do a bit of a detox to clean out their system and, I, and nothing too like you're not going to be running for the washroom or taking like intravenous anything, but it's just a way to kind of clean them up at a cellular level, change out their diet, then when we've retested, then we get a better idea of what's actually going on. And in some cases, there's the same foods come up. In a lot of cases, certain foods come up, which means they probably shouldn't be eating those foods, but other foods go away, which probably means they were just eating too much of them. And if they start to eat them on a rotational basis, they, they feel better. And oftentimes when we, when patients make these changes, they'll come back and say, I can't explain how I feel better, but I do feel better. So whether that means that their energy is higher, that they don't feel as sluggish, um, focus, concentration, digestion, all of it. Like usually everything just kind of improves when you're eating foods that agree with you. So I am a big fan of doing that, not on a yearly basis. It depends on the individual. So like I said, in some cases, I've repeated it three months later, just so we get a better idea. Um, I've had patients who we repeat it a few years later, and sometimes we get the same results, which means, okay, well, you're still not good with these foods, which means you're probably never going to be good with these foods. And I know in your case last time, and I hope I'm not sharing too much, you just improved a lot. So I know that you're, you 
got a lot of variety in your diet and I know that your, your system is pretty clean from when we look at it like from a toxic perspective, the cleaner out your body is, the less reactive it is to things too. And that also gets translated into other blood work, which looks for inflammation. So if you're not eating foods that increase inflammation, you do see it on other blood work as well that shows, yeah, you don't have inflammation, which means your sport recovery could be faster. Um, the risk of injury is reduced. So there's so many long-term positives to it as well. And if nothing else, it helps encourage people eat a wider variety of foods. So rather than eating broccoli all the time, maybe rotate it with cauliflower as well. And it's just, just thinking like that now. It's like, okay, I don't want to eat lemons all the time. I'll have limes every now and then, you know? So it's just, it's, it's just broadening it a little bit. Yeah, no, I, as you know, I'm a huge proponent. In it, and I think the last time you and I did, it was 2017. And as you mentioned, I just went through it and I was actually pleasantly shocked at um, how my list of um, things that I was reactive to before has come down. Like it's, you know, you sent me a note on it saying you're basically, you have very few items that you react to. Um, but it was still for me, anyhow, it was dairy, right? Which, uh, which I know. And just to share a story of one of our members that had the test done, actually it was their son that, was, that had eczema and psoriasis and thought they were going to be on medication the rest of their life, this poor kid, because he just woke up every day and he had psoriasis and eczema, did the food, inf food inflammation test through, through yourself and uh, came back that the number one thing that he should avoid was uh, eggs and dairy. He cut eggs and dairy out and literally within a month went off all medication, right? So great, great story, yeah. Yeah, yeah, honestly, that, that happens a lot more commonly than people expect. And it's not, again, it's not testing for immediate reaction. So it's not something that you're, you're anaphylactically reactive to, but it's that low grade. So it's never a huge reaction that you would know, oh, I just ate this. I had a patient a few years ago and his big issue was that he was just itchy, like his whole skin, like he's like, I want to scratch everything off. I'm so itchy. When we did the sensitivity test, the only thing that came up for him was eggs. And then he was like, oh my goodness. He goes, I only eat eggs on Saturdays and Sundays. And he's like, and it, he goes, now that I think about it, my reaction is the worst Monday through Thursday, I start to feel better. And then I have eggs again. And then he just cut that out. That was the only thing he needed to cut out. He was like a whole new man. He's like, I feel I'm so happy now because it was driving him crazy. At, like, oops, were you, you, like we looked at everything before we did food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because at first he's like, it can't be food. I'm like, okay. So we looked at everything else first and then it was the like eggs. And it, you know, for him, it was an easy thing to eliminate. So you just, it's sometimes it's, it, it's very simple. Other times it's a bit more complicated depending on what else is going on with the patient, but it's it's definitely a good test to do if you've got some weird and wonderful symptoms that we're trying to figure out. So yeah. it's a good start. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, and, and thanks, I know a number of our members have been requesting it more and more because uh, we talk about it a lot as well. Um, and the blood test uh, that will show your uh, inflammation, is it uh, CRP? Is that what it is? Uh, C-reactive protein. Can you just speak to that a bit? Because I know that's one of the things that that through you and and uh, IASIS you've you've helped me with. So we look at that. So it's supposed to detect inflammation in the cardiovascular system, but it doesn't always. So we've had patients who have no acute pain, but they'll have high CRP. So then my goal is always to, to try to reduce that as much as possible. So there's supplements that we can take. Making diet changes also helps. But you never want to have inflammation in the body. And, and if, if it's high and somebody says, oh, my shoulder is really inflamed, that's easier to take because there's a reason for it. But if they have no aches and pains, but you're seeing these inflammation markers that are high, 
for me, that's big, like, okay, we need to detox your system. We need to reduce inflammation, even adding things like turmeric to your diet and the ginger to your diet. Those are, those are positives. Oftentimes I'll have people alkalinize so start the day with water and lemon or water and apple cider vinegar. Um, it's just, it's, it, we, what we always want to do is just get inflammation down because inflammation is never a good thing. So when we feel it, and then sometimes it's just low grade where people are like, my, I'm just stiff. And I'm like, that's a form of inflammation. So we don't want that. And because the earlier it starts, the worse it gets. Um, so anyway, anything that we can do to address it is, is ideal. Yeah, no, I, it's funny. Cause over the years, if you had asked me five years ago, did I know when I was inflamed, I would say no. Cause I think I was inflamed all the time. And I'm sure if you look at my blood tests, it probably showed that. Um, but I know the last few years, my CRP has been super low and, and the food inflammation test came back very, very positive, but I can actually feel now when I don't, I know a, I know when I, the times I let's say don't eat well, or maybe drink a little too much or whatever, but I feel it the next day, right? Like I, now I actually feel like my eyes feel full. Like I feel, hate to say mucus, but you, you know, yeah, I can just feel that. And, and I go, okay, why am I doing that to myself? You know, but I can actually feel it now, you know? So this is the part of natural of medicine that makes that I love. Most people come in and they just kind of feel, uh, but they're not aware that they feel. Uh. So now when you improve their health, and then they feel that I don't feel great. Now they can tell that difference because now it's like when they're used to having high energy and feeling focused and feeling good, that difference is noticeable. But if you're always kind of feeling crappy, that's your norm, right? And that's where a lot of patients that walk in, you ask them and they're like, yeah, I'm okay. And this and that. So now that's why when patients come back and say, I can't explain how, but I feel better. I'm like, okay, that's what we want because now you're, you went from here to here. And now when you dip down a little bit, it's not worth it. So that's why even when people do make diet changes and you say, oh, isn't it hard to make those? You're like, no, because I know how I feel if I eat, if I go back to eating all the, the stuff I was eating, I'm going to go back to here. And I notice it now. Now I feel that. So it's not worth it. And then they start to think twice. So whether that means not drinking as much or not eating, you know, because it's the, I can have junk food once in a while, like the processed, whatever you can. But having it once in a while is not going to kill you. If you start to, that once in a while turns into more than once in a while, then all of a sudden you start to feel down here again. That's where people start to notice it. So that's yeah. where your, your health has just improved. So you're noticing that difference now when you, when you slip a little. Oh, totally. hundred percent. I notice it. And I don't even know when I'm doing it. I know how I'm going to feel the next day. <laughs> so. But before you didn't, right? Before it was like, yeah, okay, this, this is the norm, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure that translates into my training and my racing, as you know, my, you know, my times in racing are better than they were like five and 10 years ago, which is crazy. Right. So. And your recovery too, right? So recovery, risk of injuries, all of that improves the better the body feels. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot just before we end here. What's one piece of advice if, for our listeners or advocate members? Uh, what's one piece of advice that you can give them to say, okay, if you do nothing else, you should do this. What, what is it? What would that be? Stop eating when you're no longer hungry. Not when you're full, but when you're no longer hungry. Because I find that most people eat far beyond that. And then that's where they get themselves into trouble. So you mentioned the blue zones and centurions. I think the only underlying factor that they all share, because they're all active, but they have very different diets and some smoke and some drink and some don't. And all of it is all over the place, but they all slightly under eat. Right. So that just means if you're, you know, you're famished, you eat when you're feeling like, 
okay, I'm no longer hungry. I'm not full, but I'm no longer hungry. That is a much better place to be because if you're hungry later, you can always eat again. But people tend to overeat in our society uh, much more than, than they think they do. Portion sizes are bigger. So if it's in front of us, we tend to eat it all. We need to slow down. It takes 20 minutes for our, our stomachs, or sorry, our brains to recognize that our stomachs are full or that they've had enough. So when you're no longer hungry, when you slow down, you should stop eating. That's great advice. And you know what? I need that advice too, because even though I eat mainly plant-based, as you know, I, I eat till I am really full <laughs> pretty much all the time. <laughs> like I know I have those certain foods that whenever I'm eating them, I'm always like, I always overeat this, but it, on a general, I try not to, I try to say, okay, you know what? You slow down. You're just mindful when you're eating. And I think that you know, a lot of bad habits are created, like people are eating in front of the TV these days and stuff and not being mindful. But when you're just, when you're eating, focus on the eating, enjoy the food, taste the food, slow down with it and don't overeat it. There you go, listeners. Great advice. Uh, Marina, um, just to close off, I want to say thank you so, so much for coming on our podcast today. I totally enjoyed our conversation every minute as I always enjoy our conversations. Um, and, and again, want to say thank you on behalf of all our members that you help on a daily, weekly basis to improve their overall health. Oh, thank you, Kevin. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, for sure. And for our listeners, uh, anybody that is interested in uh, seeing Marina, please uh, come to our website at advocahealth.com and we will get you in touch with uh, the wonderful and amazing Marina. Oh, thanks, Kevin. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For all of our listeners, I invite you to visit advocahealth.com where you can easily become an Advoca member to take advantage of some of the amazing services we offer. You can also access our latest blogs and listen to some of the best medical advice available on our podcast. Don't forget to grab a copy of my latest book, It's Never Too Late to Be Healthy, that is available to order through our website. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.